kind of recap what we learned last week um, and even late before actually because this is going to we kind of separated things a little bit odd uh, I kind of was having a flow of thought and I really wanted to put some certain scriptures together so we have to kind of repair the damage that's done and kind of bring us back into line as we're in Matthew chapter 9 uh, so last week we talked about discipleship quite a bit and, and I think the theme still is discipleship following Jesus you know what's expected of us Choices that have to be made. Is it easy? Is it hard? You know, and if, and even the hard elements, which we do recognize, it can be difficult. You know, we need to trust that Jesus will actually give us the strength to maintain. And that's basically what we did last week. You know, there's a choice. There's a past. And in our lives, there's choices. That's just a part of life. We all make choices. What are we going to do when we grow up? You know, what are we going to do today? What are we going to eat? You know, you know, what do we do for a career choice? What do we do for our education? You know, that, there's so many choices. And a lot of these choices are simple and small. They only you know, matter for the day. But some of the choices make a big difference in our whole lives. One of those big choices that we need to do is, is reckon what we're going to do with Christ. It, it affects our whole life. It affects the quality of our life. Uh, it affects what we do with our lives, you know, and it, it informs all the other decisions, I believe, like family matters and choices of family, where you're going to live in your home and, and the way you conduct your home. Even your career could be affected. You know, I'm certainly, I know for me, my career was affected. You know, I was going one way and then I found the Lord and I found that my career path changed drastically. Now, that may not be the case for everybody. And that's what we learned last week is, is you can love Christ and be totally devoted to him, but still not follow him like the disciples followed him, the, the 12, I mean, you know, who were followed him to the umph degree, wherever he went there with him. And that's a hard road to follow. And that's what Jesus was confronted with, or rather, that's what these would-be disciples that were confronted with last week were like. There, and one came up and said, you know, I want to go with you. You're amazing. You're doing great things. Where are we going to go? And Jesus says, well, where I go, there's no academy, there's no home. There's no safe place to reset and relax and Recreate. You, we're going to keep moving. We're not going to stop. So are you willing to do that? So that's a question we need to ask. If that's a capacity that we feel that God's taken us to. Um, there's no home sweet home. Um, the other disciple, he came about and said, well, you know, there's, there's other important things that got my heart. And for instance, my father, family issues. You know, can, can we wait? Can we delay the, this launching of the mission? And Jesus said, no. He knew what was at hand. He knew his mission. He knew the timeliness of it. So he goes, we have to go, and we have to go now. So you can go home, or you can come. And I believe Jesus was respectful. You know, go home, be with your family. You know, your dad's older, as you say. You know, he needs care. Go home and care for him. That's fine. But if you want to be with me as I go, I'm not going to hang back and wait for you to tear for your debt. I need to go. I need to move on. So you're either with me. And again, I don't think it's a negative thing, per se. Um, I think it's just reality. It's just reality. Choices we have to make. You know? Um, and again, so some disciples decided to follow him. You know, and we have a picture of them possibly on a boat here. Um, and, and we saw how when following Jesus and following closely, there's a lot of um, trials and tribulations that can come. There's a lot of scary things that could happen. 
And, and indeed, there was a scary thing. This, the storm came about and tossed them to and fro. They were frightful. Jesus, we talked about how when we're following Jesus, it, it, it's probably the safest thing we can do. Being with Jesus is probably the utmost safest thing we could do. Think about it. Because if we try to do things in our own way, in our own strength, there's a lot of uncertainty. But when we're with Jesus and we're following Jesus closely and we trust and believe that Jesus is leading us the way we need to go, then, then, then really what we're doing is we're putting our trust on Jesus, who's the master and who's the Lord and who's the chief and who's the son of God. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of more safety and security. And so Jesus proved that as he stood up and says, you're with me. Why are you afraid? And he calmed the storms. There you go. And of course, they were amazed and they were in awe of what they saw when Jesus did that. And then, but then the week before, we talked about this town. And this is where we're going to be moving into. In the end of Matthew chapter 8, going into Matthew chapter 9, we talked about this town. And, and I'm, just going to, I'm not going to read the whole, I put the whole scripture verses up there. But I'm just going to sum it up, you know, because there's no need in, in recapping everything that we already did two weeks ago. Uh, so if you remember, he went into this town. Um, you know, on the other side of this sea or this lake that they traveled upon where the seas came in and engrossed them. And when they came into this town, they saw these fellows who were so violent that, that, that people wouldn't pass through this certain way. And it must have been a, a main path into town, in out of town, because this is the, the way that the disciples and Jesus naturally followed. And then the, these guys came about who were so violent, so aggressive. Um, but, but Jesus saw that they were actually possessed by these spirits or these demons. And he healed them. He, you know, he, 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 he exercised these demons and into these pigs. Now, the town people weren't too excited about this. Because they lost their piggies. You know, that was their commodity. That was their property. And who gives Jesus the right to, to exercise these demons into these pigs? As the pigs, they jumped into the ocean, they died. And so they were pretty frustrated with Jesus. Now, again, that's why I put as a title, Do We Prefer Pigs to People? Because the question is, you know, are we willing to sacrifice a little bit of our time and effort and our resources to, to, to help people out? And these people were a major inconvenience to the town, obviously, because if people were bringing in trades or visitors or whatever, they'd have to deal with these angry, violent men. But now these men are healed. There's no problem. The problem's solved. Now you have a pleasant lane to enter in and out of town with. The problem's solved, right? But no, they were still mad because they lost their piggies. They lost a little bit of resource, a little bit of commodity. And, and it showed their heart. And so they asked Jesus, please leave this town. We're not interested in this stuff that you're going to do here. And of course... And I put a little title there, you know, which is better, a ghost town, a town with no bodies, or a town that has rejected Jesus. And so here we see a town that has rejected Jesus. They turn away. Jesus, we, 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 we see what you did. It's an amazing thing, but we're not interested in that kind of thing here in this town. And that's sad. And I hope that's not our town, you know. I hope that's not our place, you know, where, you know, we know, we recognize God, and we think we know the man upstairs, and, you know, we, we kind of associate ourselves with the name of Christ, but really we don't want to immerse ourselves in Christ. That, that's, that's, that's a dangerous place. That's a dangerous place. So again, in a different town, and that's where we, we, we are in now in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to a different town. This town responded to Jesus a bit differently. They were a bit more shocked whew, by what Jesus was able to do. And so in Matthew 9, uh, starting with verse 1, it says this, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossing over, and came into his own town. Um, this, own, this, this, is, this is the town of Capernaum, not um, Nazareth, because Jesus, he grew up in Nazareth, but he moved, and we saw that he moved in Matthew 4.13. 
And in fact, this is where Jesus came across the centurion man after his sermon. And he came humbly, bowing before him and asking of repentance. Uh, this town's, of course, because this is kind of like Jesus' headquarters, if you will, see Jesus do a lot of amazing things, a lot of miraculous things, and including the story that we're going to read right here. Unfortunately, it's a town full of, I say, cheeky people because they never repented. They never truly changed. And it's, again, a scary thing to see the power of God, to be encountered with the power of God, to see Jesus doing these amazing things, yet to turn your back, yet to be unrepentant. The message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus Christ is clearly that of repentance. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now turn, now change. That was the message. So Jesus is coming to prove who he is. He's proving who he is by doing these miracles. These miracles authenticate who Jesus is, the Son of God. But yet you have to, we have to make a response. We have to ask ourselves, what are we generally going to do with this information? Are we just going to be entertained briefly? Or are we going to be changed drastically? And so here we see one of these such miracles, these, these, these dramatic display of the Son of God doing amazing things. Um, and so here, uh, some men brought to Jesus a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Uh, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Okay, a couple of things to say here at this point already. First of all, why did Jesus say, Cheer up, your sins are forgiving? Now, here, if we keep on going on, we see that Jesus knows the thoughts of the people. Because they're saying, why is he blaspheming? He knows their thoughts. And there's a psalm that we sang here earlier today that talks about how God knows our thoughts. I can't remember what song. It was a psalm that Robert read. Robert the psalm. And I liked how he hinted on the fact that God knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows what's in us. And Jesus, the Son of God, he does as well. So the reason why I think it's interesting that he tells this man here, cheer up. I mean, he's paralyzed. He can't, you know, can't walk, he can't move. And he has to be carried on this mat like a stretcher. But Jesus says, cheer up. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus knows the heart. He knows the mind. And I believe that he was seeing the man's heart. And culturally, that's why I put here on the slides and the notes, there's a cultural significance here. Remember we talked about several weeks ago. And I think this, this, this kind of mentality still exists today. Is that if somebody's ill, if somebody's not well, it's because of sin. If somebody's unwell, if somebody is ill, it's because of sin. And culturally speaking, they would see a blind person in Jesus' time. Or they'd see a paralyzed person or a mute person. All these people with various physical or mental or these learning disabilities. And they'd say, they're this way because they sinned. They're bad people. Or their parents have sinned. Their parents are bad people. And they're bearing the consequences of it. Well, so this man's probably thinking, you know, I'm obviously a sinner. And I'm obviously a bad person. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm affected this way. I'm, I'm cursed if you will. And Jesus is addressing this by saying, I know your thoughts and I know you're sad. Now cheer up. Why? Because this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is there and he brings forgiveness. Now, he's the only one who can give forgiveness. He's the only one that can forgive because he's the Son of God. And that's why there are people who are watching saying, well, he's blaspheming. Because you see, you might offend me and you might offend somebody else. And you might go to them and ask for forgiveness. Sorry for, you know, offending you. You know, and I might offend you. And I might go to you and say, sorry for offending you. But sin 
And the word here, the, and the mentality we have here of sin is, is basically the way of life. It, it, it's a total way of life that is completely immoral and turned away from God and his standards. So the sins he's talking about here is an offense against God. Now, you can't go to me and say, I can you forgive me of the sins I committed against God? <laughs> or, or to even a priest, I can you forgive me for the sins I committed against God? You can't do that. You have to go to, directly to God himself. And that's the reason why the Bible is very clear that Jesus is our mediator. That Jesus is the great high priest. Because Jesus and only Jesus can forgive us. And here they see it as blasphemy. Because why? Because in their mind only God can forgive a sin like this. Because sins are committed against God. Again, I can offend you. I can do one off thing. But he's talking about the whole totality of, 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 a, of a life lived going down the wrong way. Offense towards God, offense towards his morals, against his laws, his precepts, you see? So only God can forgive that. So what gives Jesus the right to forgive a sin when only God can forgive it? Well, I'll tell you what right he has, because he is God. He's the son of God. And he knows their thoughts, and he hears what they're saying. So he says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? You know, which is easier to say, and I love this example. I love this. This is beautiful. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Because reality is, we can say, hi, your sins are forgiven. God's cool with you. And we do say that as a culture, don't we? I'm sure you're fine with God. I'm fine with God. We're all fine with God. But how do you really know that? How can we really be sure of that? You know, and that takes reflection, you know. But he says, it's easy to say that. Your sins are forgiven. But what about to say somebody who is unable to walk and hasn't been able to walk for many, many years, get up and walk? Now that has immediate follow through, doesn't it? <laughs> say, I can say to you, well, you're fine with God, you're cool, whatever, you know, and you might live your life that way, thinking that way, but you won't know until eternity. I might think my whole life's lived right with God, but I won't know until eternity. Now, of course, it takes a lot of spiritual, you know, confirmation, and that's why I can't really tell if you're born again or not. It's something that you need to know for yourself. It, it, it's, it's, it, you, we all need to examine our own walks, our own life with God, and say, yeah, I'm, I, I trust that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can see fruit in people's lives, and you can see fruit in my lives. How do I behave, and what, what do I do, and, and the kind of person I am? And you can say, well, this person definitely knows God or not, but still, you don't know for sure, unless you know, you know him, and you trust him. So, so it's almost like a subjective thing, you know, from one to another. But here, it's a lot more a lot more, a lot more risky, I guess you might say, to say, well, get up and walk. I think about that all the time. I think about my son. I go, I go, geez, you know, Miles, get up and walk. You know, and I'm thinking, watch, guys, I'm going to do a miracle here. Miles, get up and walk. And he gets up and he falls on the ground. I'm like, I'm not going to say that because then I don't want people to think I'm some loony or something, you know. But so what do I do? I pray. I have faith and trust that God will heal him at some point. But, uh, but still, you know, it, it takes a lot you know, just to say this. Push to a man who's been paralyzed for many years. I mean, we don't know much about this guy, but I reckon he is. Um, but I want you, he says, to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. And then what happens? And the man got up and went home. I mean, that takes some serious confidence. Jesus was in touch with the kingdom of God. He was in touch spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. He was in touch. He knew. He understood. He exercised his authority, his power of God in front of people. And I love his boldness and confidence. But again, he was allowed to be that way because, again, he's the son of God. Right? 
And in the crowd, they saw this, and they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had such authority to man. Who had given such authority to man, rather. Uh, two words here I put, I thought it was interesting. Um, the word here for awe is, is, is phobio, which we get the word phobia from, phobio. Uh, terrified. And this is different than what we saw when the disciples, after they calmed the storm, the word there is is thaumatso, thaumatso. And it's to, and that word is, is used to describe the word to wonder, to marvel. It's like, oh, it's wonderful. Kind of like how we might be during worship. If we hear a psalm or if we encounter God through being a psalms or through a preaching or a sermon, or like, ah, oh, full of wonder and, and marvel. That's the disciples' relationship with the power of God. But these people had a different relationship and they're with God. And their relationship was more that they were scared. They're like, oh, I'm scared to death. I'm terrified. Uh, it's almost like the, the, the idea of, of, of running, being so frightened that you just fly, you take off. And so, so it's a little bit different. And I think that the reason why I bring this up is because of when we come back and return to Capernaum, they weren't really awe-stricken with Jesus Christ. They were more just kind of afraid of him. You know, they were, like, they were maybe a little bit timid by him. And, and, and there were people that always constantly challenged Jesus. And, uh, and like I said, we'll return to them again later on as we go through the book of Matthew. But there's a town. And, and, and again, an interesting thing, though, is, 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 but however, unlike the last town, the last town where, where Jesus did something and they told him, leave, we don't want you. There, here, at least, we, we see a temporary change. We see that they were shocked, as we say, into, into praising God. And that's, I think, um, at least gets us to think. And I, and I give them at least that much respect. They, at least they, they, they were honored and praised God through this reverence, this fear. But four truly amazing things about this passage. And this is four things I saw through this that I want to share with you guys as, before we move on. And, that, and that's number one. Uh, these men here, uh, uh, these men who brought uh, the paralytic you know, on the mat or on the stretcher, whatever it was, that they trusted Jesus. They trust him. Total trust that he will heal, that he could heal. And so with that, some application, do we really trust Jesus too, that, that he can heal, that he does heal, that he makes a difference in our lives, that he can do things, that he can heal us, he can forgive us of sins. I mean, do we really trust Jesus with our lives that... You know, our decisions, like I said earlier, important decisions in our life in following Jesus. Do we consult him? Do we consult him with the knowledge that he actually can inform the situation, or is it just lip service? Do we really trust in God? Number two, amazing thing. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. Okay, he had spiritual, the spiritual ability to do things that no one else can do. So, with that I ask, are you forgiven? And that's something that we did hint upon. I'm going to hint upon again. Are we forgiven? Do we know that we are forgiven? Do we know that we have spiritually more filled with, 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 a, with a free gift of the Spirit of the living God? Do we know, have we turned to God through the axis of Jesus Christ? Through the name of Jesus and said, God, forgive me my sins. I'm a sinner. I've gone wrong. Please forgive me and change me. That's an important, important element. It's not enough just to associate ourselves through Christianity, through maybe our cultural history, our family. We need to know Jesus Christ one-on-one. And so I must come to God. You as individuals must go to God and seek 
and realize that he and only Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sins. Number three amazing thing I see in this passage is this. Jesus knew their thoughts. I mean, is that amazing? <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about it, but I'm going to say it again. Is that amazing? He knew people's thoughts. I'm kind of glad I don't have that ability or power because I would just go nuts. But Jesus had not only the ability to do it, but he had the strength to maintain peace in his own life and grace. If I knew what you guys were all thinking, I would, I would want to just find a nice, quiet country you know, mine or shafts and just jump into it and just hide away from all the, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I don't want it. I don't, I don't even like what people say along what they think. But Jesus had the ability to deal with different personalities, to deal with different perspectives, to deal with opinions, to deal with things that were wrong, grossly wrong, not just for what they said, but what they thought, what power it would take, what, what strength, what peace, what graces Jesus have. So he, again, he had the mental ability to do things that no one else can do. And with that, I say to the, again, this kind of leads after the last question, are you forgiven? And that goes with this, are you honest with him? You know, are, you, are you honest? I mean, he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Are we open and honest with God? Have we really disclosed ourselves to him? And I put this, because that's my favorite saying. Back when we were in high school, me and my friends used to always say, who do you think you're fooling? That's what we used to say to each other, because, you know, that's just... We're, you, know, you know, teenagers are like, we always lie to each other. And even when we're lying to each other, we'd always wind each other up. Who do you think you're full? We know who you are. But that's the funny thing is, with Jesus, if he knows who we are, he knows who we are. And it's funny how we try to put on masks with Jesus, but we don't need to, and we really shouldn't do it because he sees right through it anyway. So it's important to be really mentally open and honest before Jesus. And then the fourth truly amazing thing in this passage is that the man was healed. Again, Jesus is healing people. Jesus has the power to heal people. He had the physical ability to do things that no one else can do. And do we really trust him as well? I put that question again. Physical you know, healing. You know, physical reality. Our physical stress. We talked about worry and anxiety last week as well. These are all kind of bound up on the physical realm. You know, are we able to maintain and protect and secure certain things so that we can have a physically, you know, safe and pleasant life? Do we trust that God cares enough and he can actually provide these things if we just trust him and stay close to him? So moving on. Now, next little section, and I should go through this quite quickly, is Jesus. He shouts out to sinners, come be my beloved disciples. And again, if you are confronted with the last little, little section, talking about sins and being open before God and, and seeking forgiveness of sins, you know what's awesome about Jesus? Is when you're honest about your sin and your sinful lifestyle and maybe things have gone wrong, maybe errors, maybe your certain immoralities, he's cool. He's like, hey, I'm glad to forgive you. I'm glad to restore you. Now follow me. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're right, you're a sinner, now stay away from me. Stay, you can maybe just pop into church and hang out in the corner and whatnot, but I don't want you to really be that close to me. No, he, I'm glad you recognize you're a sinner. Now, come on, get as close to me as you possibly can. Come be my beloved disciple. So, Matthew, in Matthew 8 9, this is him talking about himself here and how he came to know Jesus. Jesus went on from there, from where he was in Capernaum, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, the tax collectors, these were hated people in their time, by their own people. So the fellow Jews of the time who see these Jewish men 
who were tax collectors, they saw them as traitors because they were working for the Romans, the Gentiles. You know, they were traitors. They were taken from their own, from the fellow Jews, and given money to the enemy who have oppressed them and who live on their precious land, the Romans. And also they seem as thieves because they also have the right to charge their own wages. You know, so like for doing this work, I'm taking your taxes, but guess what? I'm also taking my surcharges. And so they saw, ah, not only are you taken for Rome, but you're stealing from me. So they weren't liked. They were hated. But here's Jesus. He goes right up to him, And he says, follow me. Follow me. Simple as that. That must have shocked him. Because if he knew anything about Jesus and who he claims to be when he was doing, that must have been shocking. Like, but me? But don't you know who I am, Jesus? So he told him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He got up and followed him. He didn't justify it. He didn't just, yeah, well, maybe later. Like, 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 like the other responses. Remember the other would-be disciples again? One's maybe, but as long as it's not too hard. Or, you know, the other one. Yeah, but after I sort out some important business, you know. Or he could have said what I think was the obvious thing. He could have said, no, 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 Jesus, I can't follow you, you see, because I'm a sinner. He didn't say that. He goes, Jesus, you want me? I'm going to follow you. And so with that, uh-oh, this just in. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Jesus is caught. He's caught out. Subheading, Jesus, the so-called anointed healer, is found hanging out with prostitutes and other criminal lowlives. Can you believe it? Imagine it today in the newspaper, how shocking that would be. So witnesses say that while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Yes, this is Matthew 8.10, in case you haven't noticed. The leading experts of religion step in to take action. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is Matthew 8.11. But Jesus replies, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is doing the work. People, the religious leaders at the time, did not like it. They were were intimidated by him. They were frustrated by him. But Jesus knew what he had to do. He forgave sinners. He was with sinners. He wasn't afraid of being with them. And he was pure. And that's an important thing to remember. He wasn't with sinners because he was being corrupted by bad company. Because the Bible does say, be careful not to keep bad company. Because we can bring corruption to ourselves. But he came with a specific message, specific mission. He came to give the gospel. Okay? And, and he won people over with the gospel. He didn't come to be like the world. He came to be, as Paul says, in the world, but not of the world. And the Pharisees didn't like it, because Pharisees wanted to, especially this, because this, this actually has a cultural significance as well, because a Pharisee would never allow somebody in their home who wasn't a good Jew boy. And somebody like this, who's a tax collector, who's a bad, naughty Jewish fella? No, 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 no. And you certainly wouldn't eat with them. But Jesus says, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to be with you. Why? Because he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Next slide, please. And again, just really quick, um, because we're almost out of time. This is him quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. 
I'm not going to read this portion right here, but if you look at it in context, I highlight some certain words in Hosea chapter 6 where, where it's talking about repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord. Let him heal us, bandage our wounds, restore us, that we may live in his presence and we might know the Lord. This is talking about repentance. So this is talking about people who recognize that they're sinners, that they've messed up. They need repentance. And then here we get to where, where, where Jesus is talking about the mercy part, okay? In the New Living Translation, it says, I want to show you to show love. Other translations, like the English Standard Version, says steadfast love. The New American Standard, Wally calls it loyalty. He wants to see, he delights in loyalty. The, the New King James Version says mercy. So Jesus is looking for, so here's an idea, a comprehensive idea of what Jesus is talking about here. To show love, steadfast love, this agape love, this, this passionate love, this God, love of God, loyalty, loyalty, probably to God here. Or mercy in the New King James. Now it's a weird word, um, this, this word, um, to show love or mercy. It's, um, the, I don't know very well with, with Hebrew, but it's a, I think it's pronounced hechet, hechet. And, and it's a funny word because it's translated here as we see it, show love, steadfast love, loyalty, mercy. But it's usually used to, describe the, to translate the word mercy or goodness or kindness or faithfulness. But it's also a word that's used to, to um, translate the word a reproach or a shame. Now, it might sound odd to you, but let me explain this for a second. In fact, in Leviticus, it's used to, to describe the wickedness that, that a man who would take his sister and see her naked. So it's a funny word, mercy, steadfast love, but yet also this kind of great wickedness. And Proverbs talks about the reproach of sin. And let me explain to you. Again, culturally speaking, Jesus, when he came, he brought mercy and made it a virtue. Before Jesus, mercy was a, uh, a reproach. Mercy was a, um, a, a vice. Think about it. Think about the ancient cultures. Um, again, justice, retribution, retaliation. I, I think of the ancient um, Japanese samurais. If he was defeated in battle, it's great honor for him to be the coup de gras. Finish him off. But it's shame to show mercy. Hey, I lost in war. I do death. But to receive mercy is a reproach. So it's funny how that word's used like that. But so, so again, we've talked about this already extensively. We're out of time. But for Jesus in his time, you know, uh, he was very much so being countercultural. And the idea of mercy is like, whoa, you know, whoa, we're, we're, we like justice. We don't like this mercy business. But Jesus rocked the world and changed the world. And we take it for granted today because now we see mercy and grace as being good things. But you can thank Jesus for that. He rocked the world. I'm going to finish this last slide. So, this is how we say, would we be like him? Would we be like him? Again, things we talked about today, have we acknowledged our sin? Like Matthew, have you truly come to believe that Jesus wants you to be his disciple? Again, Matthew, he was asked, come follow me. Matthew said, yes, I will follow you. Would you really spend your precious off time with certain undesirables? As of course, this picture here of Jesus, a bunch of homies. You know, we, I, I try to find a picture like this, but with Neds, but couldn't find them. But homies, you know, I mean, we, we want to hang out with these kind of undesirable people, you know, whatever. Do you prefer to condemn people? Oh, them, what they like, rather than reach out to them. Jesus could have condemned, because he has the right, he can condemn anybody he wants, because he's perfect. Nobody else is. But he didn't, he reaches out instead. And again, going back to what we learned a few weeks ago, do we prefer pigs to people? 
And in other words, do we see people as a major inconvenience or a risk to our livelihood? Or do we see them as souls who need Jesus Christ? Sorry for running late, guys. I want to get this done. It's an important message. A lot to think about, a lot to reflect upon. And I hope that uh, you leave this morning with being challenged, uh, but yet also encouraged. Yeah? So let's bow our heads and close our eyes.